Zechariah 9. Verse number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. So here we have a prophecy in Zechariah chapter number 9. Turn to Matthew chapter number 21. We'll have the fulfillment of this particular prophecy in Matthew chapter number 21. Verse number 1. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come unto Bethphage the, out of the Mount of Olives, they sent Je- then sent Jesus to disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell you the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put, them, put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strode them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. I really want to look at three things this morning. I'll give you my outline ahead of time. Kind of Spurgeon-like. One, the promise of his coming. Two, the way that he came. And three, the reactions to his coming. The promise of his coming, the way that he came, and the reactions to his coming. Title of this morning's message, Thy King Cometh. Thy King Cometh. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We stand blessed on this planet because in front of us is a copy of your word. So many do not have a copy. So many have never even seen a copy. But we are privileged, Father, to have our own copy. And we're privileged to gather together and have your spirit teach it to us. So, Father, do your work. Do your work in our heart. Teach us from your word. May your spirit take us where we need to go. For we put all of our trust in what the Lord Jesus purchased for us at the cross. And in his precious name we ask these things. Amen. Thy king cometh. Let's look first at the promise of his coming. The promise of his coming. No, the promise of the coming Messiah goes a lot farther back than Zechariah. In the Garden of Eden, when man sinned, the promise was given that the seed of the woman, 
Now, there's interesting wording there, a foreshadowing of the virgin birth. The seed of the woman would crush the Satan's head. The Messiah was promised from the very get-go. Generation after generation looked for that coming Messiah. Much of the Jewish rituals and traditions and ceremonies pointed to that coming Messiah. Prophets down through the time made predictions and revealed promises that were made concerning this Messiah. Now, it's easy, sitting where you sit, with a complete Bible in your hand, to lose sight of all of this. It's easy to throw rocks as you were at other people and say, how foolish could they have been? But let's try to put this into perspective. You have a complete Bible, and so for you to turn from Genesis to Zechariah is no big thing, and to turn from Zechariah to Matthew is no big thing. But there are literally thousands of years between Genesis and Zechariah, and there's over 500 years between Zechariah and Matthew. Now, put that into perspective. We'll try your history knowledge right now. In... 1492, I won't ask who got that right, who got that wrong, but in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. That's 500, little, a little over 500 years ago. Okay, you get that in perspective? 500 years ago. Now, how many of you, I don't know if, if Columbus made any predictions or promises on his way over. But how many of you are waiting in anticipation for one of those promises that Columbus may have made? In your thinking, isn't that ancient history? When you look at your cell phone, Columbus sailing across the ocean just seems like a whole different lifetime. It seems like ancient history. And anything that he might have done seems like it doesn't have any application to you. Well, when Zechariah made this prediction, it doesn't happen for 500 years. And I know it was easy for us to turn from one to the other, but you have to understand, put that into perspective, there was lots of time here. There were probably lots of people, because thousands of years had passed since Genesis, thousands of years, and there were probably a lot of people like the scoffers in 2 Peter who say, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. I'm guessing that many at that time said, he said it, but it isn't going to happen. With our short attention span, and with our habit of making promises that we don't actually keep, after three or four thousand years, the words of the scoffers might actually seem reasonable. Look, nothing has changed since Genesis. They've said this, this king was going to come, and we haven't seen him. It must not be going to happen. But not when you're dealing with God. For when God says anything, it's going to happen. When you're dealing with God, he never lets any of his words, as the Bible says, fall to the ground. He never lets even one of his promises go unfulfilled. When he says it, that is the way that it is. In Galatians 4, we are told, But in the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. When the fullness of time was come, what does that mean? It means when the time was just 
right. In that absolute perfect time, the promise that was made to Adam and Eve in Genesis was fulfilled. Christ was born on this earth as a human baby. Our Savior, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the whole world, had come. And we have the Messiah on the earth. But that did not fulfill the promise of the prophecy from Zechariah. Look at what Zechariah said was going to happen. Rejoice greatly, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. This prophecy still had to be fulfilled. Even after the Messiah had shown up, this prophecy had to be fulfilled. And the powers of darkness would do everything it could in order to prevent it. Think of some of the things that were tried to have, were, try, were tried, sorry. Think of some of the things that were tried in order to prevent this prophecy from, boy, am I stumbling over my words, from being fulfilled. Think of the, pro, the difficulties, the things that were tried in order to keep this prophecy from being fulfilled. From the early days. Here's this baby. The wise men come to see this baby. And an attempt is made so this king would never come riding in on this colt. And what attempt is that? It's made by Herod, who, try, who kills all of the little babies in that area, trying to prevent a king, a new king, from coming to prevent this particular prophecy. When the Lord's earthly ministry begins, the devil tempts him, trying to take, cause him to sin. He tempts him in the wilderness. If the Lord Jesus falls into temptation in the wilderness, there will be no ride into Jerusalem. He cannot come riding in on this horse as the king if he has fallen to temptation. He must be at all points tempted like as we are yet without sin in order for this prophecy to take place. And the devil tries to trip him in the wilderness. Think about as you, read, as you consider the ministry of Christ over those three and a half years. How many times the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the chief priests, attempted, made attempts on the life of Christ, trying to actually put him to death so that he would not be an issue with them anymore. To prevent Zechariah 9.9 from being fulfilled by our Lord, there were many attempts to subvert this. But my friends, Matthew chapter number 21 is still in the book. Although they tried to prevent him from coming, when God says it, that's the way it's going to be. There's no stopping it. There's no changing it. When the time is perfect, not one minute before and not one minute after, when the time is perfect, God does what he promises. The promise was made and kept. Our second point we want to consider this morning is the way that he came. The way that he came. Seven or eight years ago, we were with the kids. We were, had a, flea, a booth at the Watch Here Flea Market. 
one of the biggest flea markets in Iowa, and we had a booth there. We were selling all that junk, and people come and go, and some like to talk, and some like to buy, and I like the buyers better than the talkers, but you have to do some talking in order to get the buyers to buy. And so this guy was talking, and meanwhile, I was selling him stuff, but he started talking about, he was from Des Moines. He has a restaurant here in Des Moines. And in the conversation, he told me that one of the channels, the Food Network channel, one of the famous people on the Food Network channel who has a show where the guy drives around, goes to all different eating places all over the country, that his people had showed up at that restaurant. And they wanted to feature his restaurant on that show. And so in order for him to have them come and do that restaurant, they gave him a list of things that had to change in his restaurant in order for them to come. He said, it cost me $10,000 to make those changes so that place would come. If he wouldn't make the changes, they weren't coming. He made the changes because he figured he would get all that money back. And actually the show, I guess, did his restaurant did feature on the show and all that cost him $10,000 because this guy wasn't going to show up to your restaurant looking like that. He had to put in all new countertops and I think a new paint job and all these things he had to fix because they didn't want to show up at a dump. Now, it doesn't really surprise us when an important quote-unquote person makes demands on us. They might insist on certain changes. They might want to make a grand entrance onto the scene, like the Hollywood celebrities who pull up in their limousines and expect to get out and walk on a red carpet up to whatever building that happens to be. That doesn't really surprise us that some important, quote-unquote, person would expect that kind of treatment. Nobody's shocked by that. But I'll tell you what is shocking how the Messiah chose to come. That throws you for a loop. Born in a manger to parents who were dirt poor. Born in a little unpretentious place. Living the life of a common person. He was disregarded, despised, refused, criticized, rejected. And when it's time for him to enter as king, how does he come? Think about how a king would come with a great procession, with dignitaries leading the way in front. That's how a king would come. If you've ever seen any of the military things in the, in the, in back in World War II, the grand processions that they had of any important personage, they'd have military parades and all of this for any important person. This is what you would expect for a king to have. Riding, you would suppose, in some golden chariot or on some magnificent stallion. But how do you find the king of glory coming in? Isn't this shocking? How does the king of glory make his entrance? According to, to Zechariah 9, he is just, meaning he is righteous. He is doing the right thing. He is king of kings and he is lord of lords and it's his right to enter triumphantly. 
He brings salvation, it says. Our, one of our old hymns, Christmas hymns, tells us about as good as you can say it. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. In a few days, Christ will be hanging from the day of his entry. A few days later, he will be hanging on a cross. The sinless Son of God dying for the sins of mankind, bringing salvation by paying our sin debt so that whosoever will may come. He brings salvation. But then it goes on. He's just. He brings salvation lowly and riding upon an ass. He is meek and lowly, as the other passage says, riding on a donkey. No white charger. No procession of armies or dignitaries. But riding into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey. You know that should be shocking to us. But if you know the Lord Jesus at all, the strange thing is it's not shocking at all. It should be shocking that a king of kings would come in that way. But when you know the Lord Jesus and you see him riding in meek and lowly on a donkey, it doesn't surprise you in the least. For he is meek and lowly. In fact, in the next few days, he will be in the upper room with his disciples. And he will remove his outer garments and wrap himself in a towel. And he will proceed to wash the feet of his disciples. The lowliest job that you could even possibly imagine. And the meek and lowly Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is going to be doing this. I was contemplating this. I came across this passage of Scripture again in my own personal devotions. I was, I was chastened by it once again as I read through this. When I considered once again who the disciples were sitting there. Do you realize that if this takes place, Judas Iscariot has already bargained with the chief priests that he's going to sell out the Lord. But he's already he's got his church face on, and he's sitting there with all of the other disciples. He's just waiting for the right time when he can betray the Lord. And he is one of those sitting at this, in this room at this moment. And when the Lord Jesus is washing feet, he knows what Judas is going to do. And he washes the feet of Judas Iscariot. My friend, if you know the Lord, it's not really shocking that he did that. The thing is, when you see the whole scene, it's not shocking when you know the Lord. You know what makes it shocking? When you compare your own actions, your own attitudes, your own behavior to the Lord Jesus's. That's when it gets shocking. It doesn't shock you at all that the Lord Jesus would wash the feet of Judas Iscariot, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's meek and lowly. 
But when you consider your own actions against your enemies this week, your own thoughts, your own intentions against your enemies this week, you compare those with the Lord Jesus, that's what becomes a little shocking. For it is so unlike how we think and how we behave. How did he come? He was just. He was right. He was bringing salvation. And he was meek and lowly riding on a donkey. What were the reactions to his coming? The reactions to the Lord Jesus are always mixed reactions. Whenever you find the Lord Jesus, you find mixed reactions. John chapter number 1 tells us, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And the next verse says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Acts, when he's preaching at Mars Hill, he says, at the end of the preaching, some people mocked, some people considered, and others believed. There's always a mixed reaction when we come to the Lord Jesus. And here, as the Lord does his triumphal entry, we find mixed reactions. Verse number 3, we're in Matthew 21, verse number 3. And if any man say aught unto thee, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. You look out your window and here's some two guys, two disciples, hauling off your, your donkey. You say, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? And the Lord said, you just tell them the Lord hath need of them. And they're going to let him go. So you have some who, whatever the Lord needs, he can have. In verse number 7, And they brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. Here they are giving their outer garments even to the Lord. In verse number 8, And very great multitudes spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches for the trees and strewed them in the way. Here we have people preparing their way. They're spreading their clothes, their outer garments, out on the ground. They're putting palm leaves down on the ground to prepare the way of the Lord. They are recognizing Him as the King. Verse number 9, And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Those words, Hosanna in the highest, is expressing adoration for the Lord. Can you picture this in your mind? Whatever the Lord needs, he's going to have. We are preparing his way. We are recognizing him as king, and we are adoring him. That's one side of the reaction. But that is not the only reaction. Look down at verse number 15. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Well, they didn't like that. In another passage, it says in Luke 19, 39, it says, they asked the Lord, you tell those people to shut up. Tell them to quit saying that. We don't like what they're saying. Here's a whole multitude crying Hosanna to the Lord. And the chief priests and the scribes are displeased. Now it's not just them. You realize that in just a few days, there will be a larger mob. Possibly containing some of the same people in both mobs. And they are crying out. And This time they're not crying Hosanna to the highest. They're crying out just a few days later, 
Crucify him. Crucify him. My friends, there will always be a mixed reaction to Jesus Christ. In Zechariah, the promise was made of his coming. Nothing is going to prevent that. The Lord came, but how did he come? He came meek and mild on a donkey. Some cried Hosanna, while others would cry, crucify him, crucify him. All this is history. But if you know anything about history, you know that history repeats itself. And we sit here today with a very similar promise that the people had from Zechariah. And that promise is, Thy King cometh. Our promise was not given by Zechariah, but by two angels in the book of Acts. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. We have a same or similar promise. Our king is coming. We have a promise. Sure, there are still mockers who say, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his returns? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation till now. Others try to ban or remove any thought of God from our world. Others try to persecute his children around the world, trying to stamp out his name. But my friend, like it or not, want it or not, expect it or not, when the perfect time is come, the Lord will return. There is no stopping him. Thy king cometh. We have the promise. This same Jesus. Thy king cometh. So we have the promise. How will he come? How will he come? Well, the first time he came meek and lowly, riding on a donkey. My friend, we have a completely different scenario than we have in Zechariah at the next coming. This time, the Lord will not be riding a donkey, but a white horse. He is not coming to save, but to rule. He comes riding a white horse and an inscription on the garment says, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is just and right. Just like he came the first time, it was right. This is just and right, for he is King of kings and he will take his rightful place. He's coming and there's nothing you can do to prevent that. Two, He's coming. How is he going to come? He's going to come on a white horse and he's coming to reign. Three, the reactions to his coming are once again mixed. The reactions to his coming, as is always, are mixed. You know, some are prepared to fight. 
Isn't that the most incredible thing you've ever heard? The king of kings is coming. And some, maybe even now, are prepared or preparing to fight. Their battle cry is, we will not have this man rule over us. They are assembled. They will assemble for war. My friend, this is a fool's errand. This is a fool's errand. For every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some are prepared to fight. Others really don't plan on fighting the Lord long term. They just don't want the Lord to be ruling their lives right now. Long term, they want to spend eternity with God in heaven and Him ruling there, but they'd like to expect to live here on the earth right now just as they please, however they please. I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. When the Lord returns... If you are in rebellion against him at that moment, there's no switching sides at the last second. If you're in rebellion when he returns, you're in rebellion from then on. There is no just taking a quick switch. Some prepare to fight. Others just don't want the Lord ruling in their life right now. Others have taken the Lord as king. They they want him as king. They want him ruling. But they've got complacent about his return. I hope this isn't you. You've taken Christ as your Savior, but you get complacent about his return. You know how life gets busy. And preparing for the Lord's return kind of gets pushed to the back burner, as they used to say. It's not the front of your thinking. It's one of those things that you need to take care of later on. And the Lord's return has gotten pushed there. If that's you, I'm just telling you that this will be a source of regret in the days ahead. If you have taken the Lord as your Savior, you want him to be king, but just in the time period here, you've let him slip to the back burner. His return has been pushed out of your thinking. But some, and I trust this is you, Look for the Lord's return. Even at this moment, you are crying out, Hosanna in the highest. And you say with John, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We have the promise of his coming. He's coming. There's nothing you're going to do to prevent that. The first time he came meek and lowly, riding upon a donkey, this is, my friend, an example for us that ought to be part of our very fabric of our existence. But when he comes again, he is coming on a white horse, king of kings and lord of lords in his rightful spot. And this mixed reaction that is always present when Christ is concerned, where Christ is concerned, I trust that you're on the right side of that. I trust that you are one who is crying out, Hosanna in the highest, even so come, Lord Jesus. Like it or not, thy king 